Welcome to 3-Minute Ministry Mentor. I am your host, Eileen Campbell-Reed. In Season 5, we are excited to bring you interviews and conversations to inform and inspire your practice of ministry and nurture your pastoral imagination. Welcome to another episode of 3-Minute Ministry Mentor. This week, I want to talk with you about how we talk ourselves and each other through tragedy. Talking through tragedy, along with creating sanctuary in a crisis and accompanying people through the ambiguous losses and concrete losses of life, some of the hardest relational work that we're called to in the practice of ministry. In this week's episode, I want to talk about all three of these forms of spiritual caregiving. I've created a printable download to help you be prepared for these moments where you need to talk through tragedy and care through crisis in your practice of ministry. How do we talk children through tragedy? What about parents, teachers, young people, especially when the tragedy has impacted children in the places where children go, like schools or churches? And what about caring for our congregations as a whole? As you know, this past week in Nashville, we experienced what is reaching epidemic proportions in the form of another school shooting. This time, it was a private school on a church campus, and there's so much that could be said and needs to be said about this tragedy. Today, I want to focus on how we care for our children when they are exposed to or become aware of tragedies in the world. And closely related, I want to talk with you about how we create sanctuary in a crisis for all our people, the people of our churches, but also the people of our neighborhoods and towns and cities. I've created a handout that you can put in your files It's something that you can take a look at when it comes time. I hope it never comes time in your town or your city. And may we never have another school shooting ever. This kind of care, however, is certainly not limited to school shootings. Many other kinds of tragedy fill the news headlines and our social media feeds every day. It would be ideal if our world was more focused on love and justice and making space for every human being to show up as themselves. And tragedies should be rare. But we know that this is not the case, so we need to be prepared to talk to our children and teenagers and adults whenever crisis does erupt. We need plans to help us respond with care and to work for justice for our congregations and wider communities. Creating sanctuary in a crisis. One way to think about how we talk with one another through a tragedy is that we use our words and we use deliberate and intentional and carefully held silences. And in doing that, with those words and silences, we create a sanctuary in a time of crisis. How we frame the conversation about tragedy, crisis, and loss makes a difference in how people feel supported and cared for through these hard experiences. When it comes to trauma and tragedy or any crisis or loss, we can also use our physical space 
and virtual spaces where we host people to gather and create sanctuary for one another. In my congregation in Nashville, Tennessee, we crafted an aspirational purpose statement a few years ago. It includes these words. We strive to create sanctuary for one another with special concern for those who are marginalized. When we were introducing and deliberating over the statement, this one in particular created a lot of conversation. We're a place that highly values equality and inclusion and welcome. Some people felt strongly that creating sanctuary was something that was for everyone, all people without distinction. On the other side, the conversation led us to be concerned about people who need very intentional and deliberate sanctuary because they have been experiencing marginalization in one way or another, racialized, gendered, class. There are all kinds of ways that people experience marginalization, and sometimes sanctuary is needed in a special way for those people. So we managed to embrace both ideas in our statement. In a crisis, there are these folk who need sanctuary in a very urgent way. We can create sanctuary with the regular routines and habits that we make together. We can also create sanctuary with particular rituals of the church and faith groups that we're a part of. Religious rituals like communion and singing, prayer and blessing can help bound a sanctuary space for people who are feeling extreme emotional and spiritual pain and loss. Activating these rituals, these words, and these places can bring together our communities so that we provide mutual care for one another. Accompanying people through ambiguous losses. Perhaps you find yourself wondering, why should anyone be emotionally activated by a tragedy that didn't cause a direct impact on or loss in their lives? I've heard this question. And there are a couple of different reasons I think that these kinds of public tragedies activate many people. The most obvious, the one that people can grasp most easily, may be the geographical proximity. When it's nearby, when it's in our city or our neighborhood, like this particular tragedy was for me, it feels suddenly like the tragedies are not just out there, but they're nearby. They're in our own backyards. And it's not just the sense of proximity that activates people. It also brings back, for many people, prior experiences of tragedy and loss in their own lives. Those previous experiences of tragedy, loss from long ago, bring forth big feelings, feelings that can overwhelm the emotional system and one's sense of well-being. The event that happens in a tragedy or a crisis does not even have to rise to the level of clinical trauma in order to give those seeing it or witnessing it or hearing about it a sense of repeating their own moment of crisis. We're easily flooded with powerful memories and big feelings and a sense of dread at what will follow. Our own mirror neurons are activated when we witness the crisis and traumas of others. They evoke in us a sense of crisis or loss that might be deeply connected to events of our past. And we also lose a sense of our own 
everyday safety and security and belonging in the communities which were harmed. When we experience these big feelings and hard stories and overwhelming concerns, they can fill up our hearts and our minds, and we need to make room for those. Space to breathe, room to think. Perhaps alone, but not always alone. Big feelings and hard stories and overwhelming circumstances need a mutual witness as well. These kind of experiences tap into what Pauline Boss, psychologist and theorist, uh, tells us about ambiguous loss. Ambiguous losses are first and foremost when someone is missing. This can be a person in our lives who is physically absent and yet emotionally and psychologically still present. For example, uh, cases where a person has gone missing or no body uh, has turned up, or in a divorce where a person is no longer physically present and yet their emotional and psychological presence is still very much presence is still very much a part of the family. There's also the reverse case. When a person can be physically present and yet they're not really emotionally or psychologically present in the space, the examples there we might think about include things like Alzheimer's and dementia. These are the kinds of ambiguous losses that Pauline Boss began to study and talk about, write about decades ago. My own theory building on Pauline Boss's is that when we lose children in a community, to a tragic death, to most any death really, because children just aren't supposed to die before their parents. We tap into a kind of ambiguous loss. Because we invest so much of ourselves and our hopes and our dreams in our children, when they're no longer present with us from death, we still feel a powerful sense of loss to the community and to their families. And we imagine how incredibly hard that kind of loss would be in our own immediate circles. We're especially activated, I think, by the loss of children when they're killed by something as preventable as gun violence. Circling back around to our need for a witness the work of accompaniment becomes an incredibly important task in all leaders of religious and faith-based communities. People who experience ambiguous loss of any kind need help in naming it, understanding its power in their lives and acknowledging its truthfulness as an experience. We need to find ways to live creatively with those losses, giving them shape and form honoring them, acknowledging those losses. And it's not work we can do alone. Accompaniment is what we can give to one another as we face our ambiguous losses together. Before tragedy strikes. If you are hearing this and you are thanking God today that no mass casualty, no tragedy of epidemic proportions has reached your town, or your city, then now is a good time to put into place relationships, resources, plans of care so that you are ready. 
I hope it doesn't come your way. But pastoral care in the moment of tragedy is so much better when there has been a sense of readiness. We're never truly ready for an unexpected tragedy, but there are things we can do and systems we can put in place so that if needed, we have resources ready to call upon. When we need to talk to our children and youth and adults, through a tragedy, it is good to have some words that we have already thought about. When we need to make sanctuary for one another, it is good to have already thought about the rituals and the actions that we might take in the moment to draw that sanctuary and invite people into a space to make room for big feelings and powerful stories of what is unfolding. And when we need to accompany those who have experienced ambiguous loss, children, teenagers, or adults, it is good to have an understanding of that elusive kind of loss and to think about the way it impacts us in all kinds of circumstances, everything from these last three years of pandemic living to tragedies like the one that struck Nashville this week. And when those tragedies come, we want to be as ready as we can to practice giving care and speaking out for justice in our communities and giving grief and loss its time and its due. Thank you for listening to 3-Minute Ministry Mentor. For more podcasts, weekly episodes, videos, and blogs, please visit us at 3mmm.us forward slash welcome. I am your host, Eileen Campbell-Reed, and I believe what you are doing matters. Let us know how we can support you.